It's great to be with you again this morning. When you uh, see this picture behind me, what uh, words or thoughts come to mind as you look at that? Maybe wonder? Severe? And struggle? Barren? Lonely? Maybe? You know, a lot of times uh, when we talk and interact and, and, and as we talk about difficult and things we're going through, we often refer to that as times in the wilderness, those times of struggle and, and pain and, and hardship, sometimes longer seasons in the wilderness. Last week, I shared with you uh, that I had kind of had a couple years of kind of in and out of wilderness time, and I wanted to tell you about one particular day in that two years was really tough. A lot of things happened and kind of collided in the moment. We were walking through some things we never thought we'd walk through as a family, and just a really tough day. And at the end of that afternoon, I was with uh, some of the harbor staff that we were planning future uh, groups for Rhythm and 20 and Rogue in the fall, and I could feel emotion kind of come up to my chin, and it just started to break. And so I kind of stepped back and and I uh, said, hey, I got to take off for a while and got on my bike and ride. That's kind of how I cope a little bit. And, and a couple miles behind our house, there's this where I typically ride, there's this church and a little fountain, a little prayer area. And as I'm biking by, I'm like, this might be a good time to actually stop and, and do that. So I wheeled in into the kind of parking lot of the church there. And there was a wooden bench laying down, set up the wooden bench and took a deep breath and sat down. And just kind of needing a moment with God, right? Massive hornet's nest under that wood bench. <laughs> Hammered me. And I mean, just incredible. And so I'm whipping off my shirt, and in the midst of that, you know, just getting stung like crazy, I'm like, all of a sudden, I realize I couldn't really feel a pain. and was like, bring it. You guys think, this is pain? This is nothing. <laughs> you know, bring it. And as people are kind of coming out of the church, they're seeing shirtless dude talking to wasps. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> you know, God's for everybody, right? My man. And I came out of that kind of wilderness moment and that evening thinking, if I can make it through that day with the head still on the shoulders, I can do, you know, I can make anything that the enemy might throw my way. Um, what if the wilderness time was much more than just pain and struggle a season? What if it was actually a holy place, a place God's voice breaks through? I mean, a place of strengthening. The Hebrew word for wilderness is midbar. And the root word of midbar is devar. And devar literally means to speak. What if the wilderness times in our lives were that? Were really much bigger, that place of strengthening, that true place where God's voice could break through like he could in no other place. You have to wonder if Moses thought the wilderness, the desert wilderness he was in, was that kind of place of strengthening and a place God's voice would break through. You have to wonder, as he entered his 40th year of being in that desert wilderness, 40 years, working the business, shepherding sheep, and you have to wonder if he thought that, or did he think as he woke up this day that we're about to visit This day was just another day in the 14,000 other days that he worked the business and lived out in that desert wilderness. But this day was a little different. Moses chose a different path down the mountain with the sheep that day. And maybe there was a moment where he was just a little more ready 
to hear God's voice in any of those other 14,000 days that he had been engaged in. So let's look at this passage in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, verse 1. And let's just kind of walk through the first part of this incredible encounter that God Moses had, that kind of encounter that not only changed his life, but changed history still to this day. Exodus 3.1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for this place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Skip down to verse 9. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with the Egyptians are holding them. Therefore, come now, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, to freedom. Two things stand out in this passage right away. The clarity of which God speaks, and he comes. Very clear, undeniable words. And the readiness of Moses to listen. He didn't miss it. I mean, he didn't keep walking. He turned, he paused, he listened. He didn't miss this moment. Now, we've all missed moments in our lives, right? Where we've got somewhere too late or left a little early or, darn, I missed that, missed that play because I didn't quite, you know, left, left just a few minutes early. But that's part of life. I mean, we can't be there for everything and there's just moments and that's part of it. But I wanted to tell you quick about two moments uh, in my life, one I missed and one I didn't. Uh, first one's a little hard to kind of revisit for me, but but uh, I think we need to, as I felt impressed to do that this morning. And and uh, my dad died when, of a heart attack when I was 26. And a few years after that, my mom developed cancer. And uh, she fought that well, but a few years later, that came back, and it came back with such force, we knew that she wasn't going to make it this time. I was in my early 30s, three little kids, uh, just had been taking a job as executive director of Youth for Christ, and so life was really full. But uh, we headed out, obviously, to Hastings many times to see her, and, and as it got worse, she was committed to an assisted care facility in Grand Island. And uh, one night we got that call that you got to come out. I uh, need to come out right away. So we loaded everybody up and headed to Grand Island and spent a couple days there. And, and as it goes with that terrible disease, I mean, she kind of... Uh, stabilized a little bit, so we stayed a few days, and then we made the decision to come back to Lincoln and and uh, re-enter life a little bit. So a week later, 
uh, I get this sense that I need to get out there. It's been too long. I need to get out there to see her and and uh, just kind of time and should have before that. And so, you know, I just kind of started feeling that. At the same time, the Youth for Christ Campus Life program we had had a massive youth ministry trip to Kansas City. Hundreds of teenage, uh, hundreds of middle schoolers, buses, several vans, all that. It developed one crisis after another during that time. And two vans broke down in downtown Kansas City, and I was getting calls and all that stuff. And so I was in this, this wrestling match with myself and with God on what should do, what should I do. Started heading to Kansas City, past Nebraska City, got to the Hamburg exit, you know, just south of uh, Kansas City there, and pulled over kind of in tears and frustration and struggle and said, I don't know what to do. Um, and sat there for about an hour. And then I ended up continuing to head to Kansas City. And, and uh, a couple of days later, we got the word that my mom had, had passed away. Um, I came out of that moment, boy, did I kick myself and struggle with regret. But I came out of that with the sense that God doesn't want us to, to get stuck in those mistakes and those moments. I mean, not for shame or that's not, that's not him. But he does want us to learn from him, I think. And I learned from that moment as best that I can, I'm going to listen. You know, when I get a sense of God directing me and I'm going to act as best I can. I'm not going to do it perfect, but you know what? I'm not going to miss that kind of moment again. And, and got, kind of got a steely resolve to figure that out a little better. Fifteen years later, fast forward, my son's going into a junior year of high school uh, playing AAU tournaments through the summer all around the country. He was really good, and this was his third year of doing that. And this year was really getting fun because he was, he was doing really well, and college coaches were coming and talking and recruiting him. And so it was just a, a high-adrenaline, great summer in that regard. The last term of that summer, and we've been to all the games, so the last tournament was in St. Louis. And the plan was we'd get to St. Louis, my wife would fly home for my niece's wedding, and I'd get things arranged with Dylan, and then I'd come home for the wedding too. So as we played that out, I got and drove, dropped Dylan off in St. Louis and got about 50 miles outside of St. Louis, and there was just this strong sense, I think you need to turn around. I mean, I know it's your niece's wedding and all our families gathering in Lincoln, but I think you need to turn around. And so another exit I sat at for an hour wrestling with indecision. I don't know if you've ever got to that point where you just can't figure it out, right? And ended up turning around, going to Kansas, uh, going back to St. Louis. Dylan had the best tournament of his life, best three games. It was a riot being in it. But what I didn't know at the time, and we're going to learn later in that year, was a rash of injuries would hit Dylan. Uh, three surgeries. The dream of playing college basketball was over. And that was the last summer tournament he'd ever play. And now all these years later, man, am I thankful I turned that car around. And didn't, didn't miss that moment. This would have been a great moment too. But, but that one. Let's don't do that with this story. Let's don't blow by it and read it just once and miss the, the treasure that's in this story for you and I. Because I believe this morning there's something there for each of us in this incredible encounter that Moses and God had. And so let's look back at a couple things. Um, the first thing that pops out to me is... And the struggle point of this passage always has been, why did it take 40 years? I mean, Moses had been in the desert 40 years. Why did God wait? Um, I mean, the people were suffering, right? I mean, they were suffering and struggling. They were suffering for generations. But in these 40 years, I mean, it was, it was clear that God wanted Moses and chose Moses to be his man to go free the people, right? Why did it take 40 years? 
I mean, this is, this is Moses who was given up by his mother as a baby in order to save his life because the Egyptians were, were unbelievably cruel. The numbers of the Hebrews were getting so big that Pharaoh decided to kill all the babies of Hebrews. And his mother tried to save his life and did, and through a variety of circumstances, Moses came into the care, ironically, of Pharaoh's family. And, and at that point, at 40 years old then, he realized his true identity. He was the son of Hebrew slaves. And in a moment of passion, when he found an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew slave, Moses snapped and killed that Egyptian. And as a result... Pharaoh sent him out of the family, banned him from the country, and sent him in the wilderness. That's where he spent the next 40 years. Clearly, Moses was God's man for this moment. Why 40 years? I mean, I think a little bit of the answer is hidden in this story. And I think we ought to kind of go back to it. Verse 3 and 4. Exodus 3 says, So Moses is coming down a different pathway, taking the sheep down the mountain, right? And he sees that a bush was on fire. And yet the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And then to me, this is, the mo- this is one of the most provocative, amazing, incredible verses in all the Bible in this moment because of the implications to you and I. It says, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush. Isn't that something? When God saw Moses turn, he spoke. And then he said, Moses. And then with emphasis the second time, Moses. Don't miss this moment, right? Don't miss it. Don't keep walking. You get a sense that maybe Moses had passed this way before. You know, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he'd been there 40 years. And this time God waited till Moses turned. Was attentive to what was going on around him. Paused. Turned to the bush. And when God saw him turn, he spoke. Man, that's amazing, right? I mean, that is inspirational and a warning, kind of like Josh and I talked about last week. These stories and passages and truths of the Bible are there to kind of wake us up sometimes, give us a warning and some inspiration. It's like we need to attend to the moments around us. What else about this story? We know that Moses entered into holy ground. Moses knew this was a different level of moment. He knew it because God told him, I mean, this is holy ground, Moses. Take your shoes off. Stay in it. I mean, there's something different about this moment than the other you've had. Are you ready? Are you ready? We enter in. I mean, we come across those kind of, I think, holy moments if we're, if we're pausing and recognizing them all the time. Sometimes in random and different ways, amazing things that can kind of stop you in your tracks, right? Last summer, I was taking a bike ride out and by Kearney. We have a little family cabin out there that my dad actually built 50 years later, still in our kind of family, kind of a gathering spot. And I love biking out there. There's a railroad bridge that crosses the river. But I was on a quest to get this bike done and get back for sunset. Sunset's behind me, and this uh, scene played out. And I kind of saw as I was biking, and just kind of stopped the bike and uh, pulled off. And it's like, you know, rainbow setting in the river there and, and uh, well-placed deer in the water there. And, and you know what? I mean, it was so quiet I could hear that deer drink the water. I mean, I was the only one on the bridge and just was like, gosh, this is awesome. And just kind of soaked it in. Holy moment, right? There was another one on a family trip a few years ago. We were up in Bozeman, Montana. All our kids were in their 20s. And, uh, and I had a sense going into this trip, this would probably be the last one that was just five of us. 
Uh, you just, life's going to change, and of course, as it should, and, and, but you just kind of got this sense this is kind of it, and the trips and vacations experiences was a big deal to our family. We budgeted for it ever since they were little, and, and the days were full in Bozeman, but at the end of the day, there was this bags game at the lodge we were staying, and every day, we'd run out there as we had a heated competition going, and play bags, and kids in the room, you won't get this, but parents, you will. You'll get this moment because, you know, you realize we're probably not passing this way again. I mean, this is kind of it. And you kind of embrace that, that time. And, and it became this really sweet time. And the last night I was like, we're not coming this way again. It was a simple moment of just five of us, no one in a hurry, no cell phones on, nothing. Just kind of fully in, right? Sometimes those holy moments can happen on a rock. I mean, this is a, this is a rock field out in Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, it's a place where we take all the groups of Rhythm and Twenty and Rogue to when we ask them to go into the wilderness for extended periods of time to actually see if the wilderness, the solo time, can actually be a holy moment, a time where they could possibly hear God if all the noise is shut off. All 23 groups that we've done so far have gone to this spot. Story after story of how God's broke through into the quiet and the solitude. One that stands out to me is a, a night a year ago or so. Jim Hines, many of you know, uh, serves here so well at the church in a lot of different forms. He was in this particular row group. We went out for a few hours, came back, and we're processing and talking about it. And, and in front of the group, Jim says, I've walked with God for decades, and, and I've never worshipped God like I did on that rock today. I've never had that kind of moment, that kind of worship. And the, kind of the room just quieted and... And uh, he proceeded to unpack that, which I couldn't do justice to ask him about it, if you know him. Sometimes what that was like, what a moment for a man in his upper 60s to say, I've never worshipped God like I did today, as he kind of head into the wilderness. That's holy moments. That's power when God shows up, even in the lonely, in the barren, in the desolate times, that he can kind of break through, right? What else? God unpacks a specific plan, a mission here, but he doesn't give Moses specifics on this mission, right? He just tells them about it, lays it out, and says, are you in? So check out verse 11 and 12 in Exodus 3. God speaks clearly, but not in specifics, and you wonder why. So verse 11 and 12, Therefore come now, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, Certainly I will be with you, Moses, and this shall be the sign to you that I have sent you, that you have met with me. Why will the people follow you out of Egypt? Why? Because you met with me, that's why. I mean, we've had this moment, this encounter. That's what will give you strength consistency for the mission ahead. I think if Moses knew the specifics of that time, you're going to go out and walk in front of the most powerful man in the world, in the most powerful country in the world, and you're going to tell him you're going to take his old economic engine away and basically ruin you economically, and you're going to take this almost million people to the desert to walk to freedom, to walk to land that's free. But by the way, you're going to have to care for these people for another 40 years in the desert. It's like, I don't know if Moses is in or not. I mean, maybe, but, but uh, boy, that's a lot. But God just tells him this, the core mission, you're the man, and this is going to work because I'm with you. Just like last week when we talked, this works because I go before you. 
because you met with me. This word came from me, that's why. And uh, take those people to freedom. And so, so he does. And I thought many times in the callings and different things I've had in my life, would I have done it if I'd have known all the specifics? Or was it just in when I got a sense of, of developing an organization that will work with leaders around the country, if I knew all the funds we were going to have to raise, all the, all the life that was going to be happening, all the spiritual warfare around it, would I have done it? I'm not sure. But I think we've got to take the step. We've got to take that first step when God calls us out. What else about this story? The most obvious thing is, is that God spoke in the wilderness. He spoke in solitude. He spoke in quiet when Moses had no other distractions, nothing else going on. He broke through and spoke in wilderness. We know he did that with Moses throughout his life. This is a well-documented leader that the Bible follows throughout the context of his life. So much rich stuff around Moses and his journey. But we know time and time again, God called him out to the wilderness, to the quiet, to the solitude, in the midst of struggle, and that's where he spoke. Sometimes for weeks on end. I mean, he'd go. And he'd wait until God broke through because he knew he couldn't take those steps without him, right? That's happened throughout Scripture. Jesus, as a model for us, withdrew again and again and again to the quiet, to the wilderness, to get with God because he realized the wilderness is a holy place, a quiet place, a place God's voice breaks through. You're going to see a lot of that as we study the book of John over the next few months. Several times, Jesus withdraws to the wilderness. In Mark 1, because he needs direction, his ministry is starting to happen. Miracles are happening, all kinds of things, and his disciples go, where's Jesus? And uh, he's disappeared in the wilderness, and he comes out that next morning and says, here's the cities we're going to. One, two, three, direction. He does it in crisis. His friend, John the Baptist, is murdered by Herod, killed. And the first verse after that, that when Jesus finds out about it, says Jesus withdraws to the wilderness to pray. He does it after success. You're going to hear about the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous preaching things that Jesus did, impacted beyond belief, success, people coming from everywhere. Everything in him should have taken the next step, you'd think. Momentum, that's a big thing. Get going, keep going, take the next step. But in that moment, Jesus disappears. And at the end of that day, his disciples are, where is he? We can't find him. He's withdrawn again to the wilderness to pray, to get his strength, to get the resolve he needs for the next step, the next day. He did it with the prophet Elijah. Now, this is going to be a talk I hope I get to have with you in another day and some months down the road because this is a great story. This is an incredible story. But uh, Elijah is trying to remind the people, don't forget God. Don't forget. And like Josh and I talked about last week, you know, there was a warning and there's a consequence when we forget God in our lives. And this country, our country, is going down that road where we're starting to leave God out of it. And there's a stark warning for that. And the nation of Israel has totally forgotten. Its leaders have forgotten. They've turned on the people of God. And Elijah is alone and feeling it. He's depressed. He's tired. He's struggling. He's sitting under a tree in the hot sun. He's pouring his heart out before God. And he says in this passage, God, I've been working my heart out for you. This is in 1 Kings. The people have abandoned your covenant. They've destroyed the places of worship. They have murdered the prophets. I'm the only one left. This is a lonely, desperate time. What's the calling to, to Elijah at that point? And now, he says, Elijah, they're trying to kill me as well. 
Then God told Elijah, go stand on a mountain at attention before me. And God will pass by. Go stand on a mountain at attention, attentive, leaning in, ready for what God may do. In the moments he might break through, stand at attention and God will pass by. In the following circumstances, you don't know how long this takes, but longer than a few seconds. Because the following passage then says, The hurricane whipped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake came, but God was not in that earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but God wasn't in that fire. And after the fire, a gentle, quiet whisper. God was in that whisper. Only in a place where it was quiet enough, where it was unplugged. No idea how long Elijah had to be on that mountain, but we know for a while how all that to happen. In that gentle, quiet whisper, that's where God's voice broke through. He can do that. In the hardest moments, no matter what you're going through this morning, I can speak to this. I mean, believe me, I can that God in those hardest, difficult moments, his voice can break through. That place, that wilderness place can be holy ground. It can be. It can be a strengthening place too, not just a place of struggle. So how do we do this? How do we get in ourselves in a place where we can really be alert, ready, willing? There's so much that goes into that, but I think there is a few things maybe I can suggest to think about to get us into that place like Moses, that he saw the burning bush and he turned. And when God saw him turn, God spoke and gave him the mission and the passion of his life. How can we do that? I think we got to practice being attentive. I mean, attentiveness is really tough, right? If you're married in this room and uh, speak to the guys for a moment, both of us come back from a long day, a lot of stuff going on, and you know it's hard to attune when your wife's, when you're having interaction, either way, and she's wanting you to kind of dial in. If my wife was on the stage this morning, she would say this wasn't the best week of me being attentive, right? It's a lot going on, a lot thinking about being attentive, focused. I mean, that's what God's wanting from us. That's how we don't miss those moments, focused on him. Uh, our oldest son, when he was young, was had a real demanding presence. And if he noticed that I wasn't paying attention when he was talking to me, he grabbed my face and focused it right at him. You know, it's like, no. You know, I mean, what a great lesson from a little guy on what it means to be attentive and, and to be focused and be locked in, for sure. I mean, so that's such a significant, significant moment. So we can do that. We can remember, right? Josh said it this morning again. We talked on it last week. We can't forget those moments that God showed up in the midst of the wilderness times and the hard times and the struggle times and the times because too. We can't forget. Now, I know journaling is not for everybody. Not everybody writes. I love to write, love to journal. It's how I process and get things out. But I don't know how else you do it to not forget to mark those moments. Last week... Gave you a card that said remember on one side and perhaps got on the other. And, and a part of that value is to actually write something down and get it to where you can see it. Don't forget the times God broke through. The times worked through. That's what gives you strength. And that's what gives us courage for the next times. I mean, I, if I had more time, I could tell you story after story of God breaking through in those moments in the wilderness and the hardest times. So I would encourage you to write those down. Somehow mark them. 
What else? I mean, you can pause a little bit today and just say, what do I need to change, alter, adjust so that God, so I got more time and more space in my life? A little more gap. Is there anything? And if you have a struggle of deciding what that would be, ask your spouse if you're married here this morning, because I bet you she'd have a suggestion for you, or he would. What's some things we could simplify, adjust, change, so I got just a little more gap and a little margin to really seek God in quiet solitude in those times of the wilderness, right? And then the last challenge I would make, an invitation, is to, could we take an hour a week to develop a habit of being attentive? Author Ruth Ailey Barton says, being attentive, practicing attention, awakes us to the extraordinary and the ordinary. But that takes practice and it takes discipline to be attentive. So I would ask us to consider an hour a week for the next four weeks to try and develop a habit of listening and quietness before God. And what do you do in that time? Maybe you take this passage and read it a couple, three times. And then just ask God, is there anything there for me? Is there anything there? Take a passage that God's laid on your heart and do that. Uh, this practice of quiet, the Rhythm and 20 and Rogue groups we lead, this is a difference-making practice because we ask them to do a full day a month of space, we call it, of quiet, of going into the wilderness and really seeking God. Brian and I have worked with a lot of these groups over the years. It's been an absolute riot working with him. And as we go into these and kind of invite these guys in, and we've seen that's a difference-making practice, right? I mean, that's a difference-maker to Brian and myself. It was the Jim Hines as we talked about it. Those that practice this, that's game-changing. And so I just ask you to think about that. An hour a week, we all got that, for the next month to just develop this habit of quieting down listening, praying, seeing what God would have for us in the midst of that. You know, as I close the day, this comes to mind, but uh, Brad Brestel's on staff here, and he's told me as well during his fight with cancer a couple years ago, he was forced into four months of solitude and quiet because of the treatments. Couldn't hardly speak. But it was in those quiet moments in the struggle and the fight for life in that moment that God made himself real to Brad in some really tangible, significant ways. And you know what? He's a warrior now. He's different. He's different since that time. You know, and this is, this can happen. This is a moment. Author, let me close with this. Author John Kane says it this way. So God brings us into the wilderness that we might actually hear his voice. Don't fear the wilderness. Don't despise his removing of distractions. Embrace it. Draw close to him and listen. Really listen. Seek to hear his voice, and you will hear him. The wilderness in your life is not just wilderness. It is holy ground. It is midbar. It is the place he speaks. It is the place of God's voice. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this story and this reminder again that you can show up in the most difficult, hardest, struggling circumstances of life. And I know there's a lot of that in this room this morning. I just pray that you'll give these great people that reminder that you can show up. Give us the stay in power and the ability to hang in there, no matter how long that takes. Thank you for this model of Moses who stayed faithful, working the business for as long as it took and did that for 40 years, but then you showed up. <laughs> 
and gave him the mission and calling of his life and spoke to him in the midst of that struggle. And so that's what we ask for you today. We love you. We thank you for this moment. Thank you for this reminder and your word that brings such depth, richness to our lives. Amen.